are crucial and they're just such different types of leadership I think to not just having a view that maybe your most experienced staff members or your most experienced players in your team are the leaders like you can have some very very experienced players who aren't necessarily the leaders within the group but they're just they've got good experience to pass on but they lead in different ways so sometimes leaders are great by leading by example some guys are really good with with a narrative and with words and, and creating a clear picture in people's minds. Hello and welcome to the Prepare Like a Pro podcast. Make sure if you haven't already to subscribe to my YouTube channel to receive a notification and never miss a live interview. I hope you enjoyed this interview and please share with a friend or a teammate that you think will value this episode. Let's go. Show. My name is Jack McLean. I'm your host and today my guest is Simon Thomas, our currently the head of high performance at Western Force and our key topic for today's chat will be all revolved around creating a culture of excellence and strategies for high performance sport. Really looking forward to this chat whether you're an athlete or a coach you'll make sure to get the notebook out there's will be gems all the way through uh, and if you've got any questions if you're tuning in live on YouTube hit us up by hitting the comment section and we'll find some time to answer your questions but thanks for jumping on Simon really looking forward to chatting with you mate. That's all good. Appreciate it. I'm looking forward to it. And so it's a nice, as we said, a nice broad topic. So we can um, take it where the conversation goes and, and sort of dig for little bits of gold and experience and stories. And um, and I always like to sort of draw on some of yours as we go too with a couple of questions back the other way and mix it up. Uh, very good. Yeah, for sure, mate. Yeah, throw them, throw them my way. No worries. Um, for those that aren't aware of your, your work to, or, and how you sort of fell in, into the industry and, and I guess where you first found your passion. Um, take us through your journey, mate, both from either academic side but also work experience and, and jobs that you've done from internships to obviously you're in leadership positions now. But, yeah, um, how did you sort of start and what have been some key sort of experiences you've had along the way? Yeah, sort of I found my way um, into the, the profession really by – uh, I was looking at physio initially, studying physio when I was going through high school, and that was um, the area that I sort of saw a role in sport. That was the only role that I sort of saw in sport outside being a player or a coach because it was all I knew of. And then I did a gap year after high school over in Ireland and um, and got a bit of involvement with uh, sort of junior development and semi-professional uh, rugby across there. And, and sort of I saw other things, I saw a, a a performance environment with S&C components and nutrition and mental skills and all the other elements that sort of go in and around a, a performance and development environment which sort of opened my, another another way really and I was working in a school and teaching a little bit of PE and running classes and enjoyed the, the coaching side and the physical side of things and so changed changed hat a little bit and looked into uh, courses for when I went back to New Zealand to pull away from the physio path and, and found a course um, just in sport and rec so I studied a pretty broad um, degree started off as a, a certificate that rolled into a diploma that rolled into a an undergrad um, degree um, through AUT in Auckland but delivered in, in Nelson was one of the, the polytech sort of outposts there so um, that which was a, a great decision I, um, I weighed up between going to a big university or a smaller smaller tertiary institution and, and a smaller sort of little outpost suited me better because we had a class of 25 instead of 125 and so uh, sitting in lectures I could ask random questions and take us off task and go down different 
sort of rabbit holes and, and, and explore things in a different way that you can't do the same sitting in a giant lecture theatre and it was a lot more sort of intimate and interactive and suited my learning style and and just happened to be based um, in Nelson at the, and doing that course at the same time that Tasman Rugby Union was formed and so that opened up the first kind of placement, uh, work placement opportunity sort of through that. So things fell into place sort of on the back of um, that decision and, and doing a lot of volunteer work with the junior grades and um, and a couple of different sports there and then that evolved into into employment uh, with Tasman which sort of set me on the path through the roles that came afterwards so um, straight after finishing that uh, degree I went into an, a part-time um, and then that sort of rolled into taking over the lead SNC role with the MPC team the year after that so I think I was about 20 23 uh, when I took that over so half the team were guys that were my mates in the, the years sort of leading through and other parts of the team were older than older than I was and, and longer in the tooth than I was in the game and then a couple of the young guys that had come through the academy that I'd worked with so it was an interesting um, mix but then it was a real sort of drop into the hot seat and just and just go and, and figure it out on on the run and um, and just get straight in the deep end and start swimming so and I did that for four years before uh, moving down to Canterbury to work for the MPC team there to get closer to um, the Crusaders, which um, is a team I grew up supporting as a, a kid growing up out, just outside Christchurch. And my first work experience was uh, going down and just observing Crusaders training for a week and Canterbury training for a week uh, with Ashley Jones down there. And that's what sort of led me to decide that that was the path I wanted to go down because I liked what I saw and had some good conversations and, and chose that as a as a way forward. Uh, and then got the opportunity to take over the Crusader program um, after leading the Canterbury program and assisting with the Crusaders. Uh, so did that for, for four years uh, and then signed on for two more years and then a random opportunity came up uh, with a coach that I'd worked with over in Japan uh, who, who took on a team in the MLR over in, in the US and that just came uh, at a time where I was sort of looking at a bit of a different life experience really um, and to get across to the US and get alongside all the other sort of major professional sports there and have ease of access sort of in and around those and uh, and just open the eyes to the big wild world of sport outside rugby and outside New Zealand and so uh, it was a an interesting interesting choice going from a well-run established very successful club we just sort of won we just won four in a row uh, in our in our four years sort of leading that program and uh getting outside my yeah, comfort well. zone and going back to building something new um was it was an itch uh, and so that was sort of what i leaned towards and it, it came with other other things some different sort of business opportunities and um and, and lifestyle stuff um some that some that worked out and some that didn't the way that that us adventure turned out but that's a, a whole story in itself uh, when you go into the wild west and the owner stops putting money in and then the team ceases to exist and still chasing paychecks for that one so that was uh, yeah, a, a whole lot of good and bad at the same time uh, and they're now in, in perth at, at the western force um and so an opportunity to get back to super rugby and sort of be i guess in between those two those two challenges uh Crusaders very well established and polished, and and uh, the team in Austin over in the US was like it was a startup startup mode really a, cu a couple of years old, but 
um, very semi-pro, semi-pro, semi-amateur, wanting to be more professional and and building from the ground up, uh, like we got to do in Tasman in the early days. But uh, yeah, the force is halfway between. It's not the finished article, but it's not a complete shambles either. It's sort of some days it leans more towards one, some days it leans more towards the other, and we're just trying to push it all in, in the same direction towards being. Uh, being an outstanding environment and a culture of success uh, there now at a, a group that's been in the competition for a long time now, even though they had a couple of years hiatus, um, but haven't had success. Uh, still, you know, haven't, haven't made the finals before even. So uh, it's a really good challenge, um, but it's not right from scratch either because, say, some of the work's been done before and there's some foundations there already. Um, so an interesting sort of a, it was quite a straight line path to be fair, um, working through the, the Crusader organisational chart from academy to NPC to NPC to Super Rugby, yeah. um, and then a big sharp turn to go to the US to do something different. Um, but though that pathway gave me some great opportunities with a couple of our national teams, our under-20s and Māori All Blacks, and, uh, and got to tour some pretty interesting countries and, and kind of found that that was something I really enjoyed doing, which was another reason for going to the US, was just expanding outside the New Zealand rugby landscape. Uh, so yeah, it's opened up a lot of good doors, a lot of opportunities, um, different consulting roles uh, overseas in Japan and with a couple of emerging nations. So I I, I enjoy uh, I enjoy building things is what I've sort of found that, I, that I've connect with, with, with really good people all heading in the same direction and you're still building at the Crusaders, but you're sort of you're adding tiers onto the top of the mountain um, rather than the the early groundwork because a lot of that has all been done. Yeah, yeah, that's fantastic. Such, such great range of different experiences. Uh, and it sounds like where you are at with the Western Force is a really good fit because you you know what success looks like, and you've been in that program with yeah, winning four in a row. That's pretty incredible. Um, but then also the the challenges of a, of a startup. I guess there's challenges in sport no matter where you are. If you're winning. Three, you've won three in a row to win four in a row. Yeah, they're hunted, and um, when you're trying to hunt everyone else and, and develop the foundations, they've just got their different set of challenges. But um, yeah, it sounds like a good, a good thing if if there's a change going on at Western Force, it's it's challenging you, and and you're able to make an impact into helping them um, have that taste of success. Uh, I guess along the the way, who have been some strong influences or mentors, if you like, that have helped shape your philosophy. Yeah, early on, uh, I think as I mentioned, um, spending a week with Ashley Jones when he was at Canterbury and Crusaders uh, early on, just picking his brain really, just sent, sent him an email out of the blue to come in and observe because I thought it was maybe what I wanted to do but didn't know. Um, and he's just instantly op open and welcoming and um, and sharing everything. And, and so I got in there and, and got a taste and had some good conversations and and decided that that was going to be the direction. Um, and he sort of remained a mentor from there and, and a good close friend as well. Um, and he's just recently picked up a very, well, the most prestigious award that the NSCA can, can award really over in the US for his sort of service within that organisation, which is a, a great recognition for him um, as a coach and as a person. But um, so we sort of remain, remain close to this day. Um, but it was sort of my first real taste of, yeah, I quite like what, I, I like what I see here. I like what he's doing. I wouldn't mind doing this as a as a career. What I see in front of me, um, and then another uh, Claire Dallison who ran the uh, degree course that I studied in. She worked with New Zealand basketball and and with Paralympics, uh, and it gave me some really good early opportunities just to get 
hands-on with some junior groups and was always really good at challenging my ambition. Um, and, you know, I, I worked, walked into the, the first year course and said, this is where I want to, to go to, to work for a professional team and sort of said, well, you know, lots of people want to do that, but not many get to, so we'll, we'll do our best. And um, But I was pretty determined it was where I wanted to go and, and I was fortunate through some luck and some hard work combined um, in the right place, right time, but also plenty of um, plenty of hustle and, and work along the way to, to get the opportunity to do these things. So I um, appreciate her sort of being a really good sounding board along the way too, um, and, a, and a different perspective having worked across and so she's always been a, a very good level head to, to catch up with and chat to, as say again, as a, a mentor and, and a friend. Uh, and then just coaches along the way the rest really like you you're influenced by everybody you you come into contact with and i've been able to work alongside some very coaches some really experienced ones and some some learning growing up and coming coaches um but with a lot of talent and a lot of energy so you you pick something up from everybody um and i've just been lucky to be exposed to a lot of uh, a vast range of very different coaches but very very good coaches so you pick up a lot of sometimes the ways that you want to operate and sometimes the ways that you don't want to operate. Um, and if, but everybody has an impact in their own way. Sure, for sure. And, and I guess career highlights that spring front of mind that you're proud of to, to achieve and experience? Yeah, I think, uh, I, I think early, early highlight was probably... Um, it was a bit like a rocky start in, in Tasman. It was a young, new union, and I jumped on board sort of early early doors, and then that got removed and put back in the competition. And we really had to start from, not scratch, but start from the bottom and, and keep building. So I was really proud to see, and still really proud to see, what that union is today, um, going from the newest union in the country to being, you know, the easy beats of the competition to producing super rugby players and all blacks and internationals and consistently making the finals most years in that competition so um, I mean it was a lot of people contributed to that and a lot of a lot of work in behind the scenes across a lot of years but uh, you know I was fortunate um, to live through some really cool milestones there there were big things for us when we were the, the little pups starting to knock over the big dogs the Aucklands and Canterbury's and teams like that and getting your first big wins and uh, and then we made the semi-finals for the first time ever. And then I moved to Canterbury and uh, they won their first final the year after that and have continued to make the finals ever since. So um, it's definitely something that um, that's a highlight that I'm really proud of alongside everybody else that contributed to, to building that union and continuing it from, from where it was to where it is today. Um, obviously, plenty of um, enjoyable times with, with Crusaders. I think even just getting the job after missing it twice um first just being really inexperienced and having a nud coming second to somebody who was a bit close to the program and then third time lucky um getting that role and and i guess we got to end a end a title drought really of seven or eight years of no titles to then what are they seven in a row now so um to be able to have some amount of contribution to to that success is something we were really really proud of um so there's obviously a, a highlight in the, the success, but also some of the guys that I got to work with and that I'd worked with since they were 14 years old, 15 years old, and they're 
you know, they're all, they're all blacks now and they're centurion crusaders and you just get to see how far people go. Uh, and, uh, and just the, the way that it's operating now, the performance team that I had around me at the crusaders that I got to step away from and just let them go their own way and, and do things and put their own stamp, their own mark on, on the program and how that runs and what they've been able to do the last few years as well with, with taking that um forward has been been really good so that's a, a highlight because you um it's enjoyable to be involved with it but it's also great to see the people who were around you then step up and, and take their opportunity and really drive the place forward even further um and living in the us was awesome um so the yeah, it was a, it was a sharp turn to, to go across there and 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 give it a crack but i really loved living uh living in austin i really enjoyed being in the us um and being closer to as i said the professional sports that are here and living a different lifestyle and um it's, as i said it, it has a lot of positives and a lot of negatives with with sort of how it went in different ways um but yeah it was, it was a highlight it was definitely what i signed up for which was to go from really well polished to bloody difficult um and figuring out a way to try to build uh professionalism and belief uh, within a, an amateur Sort of an amateur side that hadn't had any success so uh, but that was the challenge that we signed up for so that was the exciting part and the fact that we really got to see some some of the fruit of our work uh, and that sort of come through before it all fell away um financially really but before it all really fell away you could really see things building and see people starting to believe and we could see the, the processes and the structures and the culture we were putting in place starting to pay off which was which was really rewarding Good segue for the next question. Uh, yeah, during your career, what have been some of your biggest challenges that you faced, and I guess what did you learn from those experiences? Yeah, I'll connect the dots on on that one. Even with uh, with Austin, um, so the the second year was rewarding because we could see the work and the foundations starting to shine through and start to see, as I said, success and belief and momentum and all the things that we were building for. You know what we thought were going to be years to come uh and then but that season became a real struggle so from from the early rounds uh the bills stopped getting paid from you know part way through the competition the staff stopped getting paid and the rents stopped getting paid and and it was it was tough but there was a light at the end of the tunnel and we just dug in our own pockets even though we weren't getting paid and just paid for things to get our group to the end of the season um just hoping that we would get that money back at some point, um, which we're still chasing, some of us. Uh, but but again, it, it galvanised the group and we headed together for the light at the end of the tunnel, but then we got to the got to the end of the tunnel and then the light got extinguished and the, the two teams, LA and Austin, got removed from the comp and got kicked out and ceased, ceased to exist now. So it all fell down pretty pretty quickly. Um, so that was, it was certainly tough. Um, being sort of that far away from home and and sort of struggling with not getting paid and sort of having to dig into your own pockets to fuel up the team van and buy the pre-match meals and and but just to get the team through because we set a goal and we were you know we still had an opportunity to be taken over and bought by somebody else and we didn't want the foundations to crumble away so we just dug in and 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 kept going um so it was a shame that it didn't work out so that was I say it was it was a challenge um but a great experience because i learned i learned a lot more about how organizations work than just uh the, the hands-on sort of performance and snc side um but a lot more of the the upper level of 
the difference of being in a a, uh, a nationally aligned team or a, a super rugby sort of a model versus a private ownership model and a, a well-organised competition to a not-so-well-organised competition and the political side of, uh, of ownership and, and the, the things that can sort of happen in sports. So I learned a lot of really valuable uh, lessons out of that at different different parts of the sport really uh, which was which was good but it was tough uh, at the same time um and tasman tasman was a challenge that i think set me up for all the other challenges to come after it really when started there say they it was on a real shoestring budget and we had very low resource again you had to if you needed something for the gym you bought it and it became part of your own business but you just left it in the gym for the team to use and and then it just stayed there when you moved on but um but it was, yeah, it, yeah, it was a challenge. Like I, like I said, I, I took over the team when I was early twenties, and you know, not not quite not quite ready, but also ready. Um, a, a really interesting sort of a mix of the two, I think. So, um, learned plenty of of lessons along the way, but it was a, a real challenge, but again, a rewarding one because we got to. I think it's where I forged the way I go about things, and I think that's why I get, then get excited about the the building things and going and rather than just polishing the diamond which is a challenge in itself um and a, an analogy i use often at crusaders you know you, you want to make that diamond shine brighter um but it is a diamond that's the reality it it doesn't just stay a diamond if you don't put the effort into it but it's um you know it's certainly a well-established high-performing team um and then the uh going and actually mining for the coal or you know applying enough pressure to the to the coal at the right time to turn something into a diamond is probably what i that's how i learned that was the environment that i learned in and so that's sort of where i tend to gravitate towards and and uh and find the most the most rewarding uh on a sort of on a personal level um and currently rugby australia is very different to new zealand rugby so that's that's the challenge for me to get to know an entirely different rugby landscape and, and the personalities of how the national union and the clubs interact and the, the way that the, the systems that the players have come through are very are very different and the way that um, that teams operate is quite different to new zealand teams as well so i mean you can't just copy paste the system from one country to another and expect it to work um so it's a good challenge for me to to figure out what's going to be the the australian way and the the western force way of doing things that's going to lead to sustainable growth and success and, and just improvement over time um so it's, it's a really good challenge so that's what I've, i'm seeking with with being with the force at the moment we've got a really good group of people that that want to all contribute to that so uh, it's a good exciting challenge but yeah. so <laughs> there there's there's some uh, rewarding days there's some frustrating days um and so it's but yeah, but all all in all, um, I look forward to getting to know the place. Enjoy getting to know the people a lot better as well. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. Perfect uh, way to to get into, I guess, under, get understanding you know the different environments that you've been in. Um, sort of flows into our topic today in terms of creating excellence and maintaining a high performance environment. I guess to to kick off the the topic. Uh, what are the foundational sort of elements to required to create a high performance environment? Do you feel? Yeah, it's a good, it's a good broad question. Um, but I think it's, yeah, it probably comes back to what I've found trying to do that in different environments, like going from one that's you would say is 
an example of excellence and high performance culture um, to trying to find ways to navigate building that in other environments and sort of found to go back to actually defining what excellence is for that group in that context and in that environment at the time. Um, so depending on the the history that you have or the playing group that you have or the resource or the experience or the cohesion that you have like you know winning a trophy in your first year and continually doing it over and over and over is definitely excellent and very high performing but it's a it's a pretty lofty goal sometimes and you you want to have a look at how you can measure what excellence is so if, if a place just needs to become more detailed in terms of its preparation and focused on the process and continual improvement and and getting little gains along the way and growing and heading in the right direction then how do you how do you define what that excellence looks like and and what it looks like in action and what that actually is um so that you have you have the right goals uh, you have the right goals and you have the right measures of of what you're trying to create and how you're trying to actually get there um, and if you focus on that, you may win a trophy in your first year. You may not, but if you're focusing in on that process and defining what what does excellence look like here, what does a, a high-performing culture look like here, and not just from a player or a team perspective, but right across the board. Um, it's always interesting in a sporting environment or in a rugby team where you're sort of called the high-performance department, but then there's a ticketing department or a marketing or a commercial department, but they they're a high performance department as well because they want to perform at a high level in their role. So I've always found it mm. interesting that you sort of get called the high performance area of the of the business, but it actually in elite sport everybody is in a high performance area. Um, and trying to f- define what high performance actually is, <laughs> how you'd actually measure it. Um, as I said, I think finding out um, what excellence is and how you measure it and what that looks like and then getting really clear across the board on what behaviors look like that are values and action towards the way that you want to be and build your environment and build your culture and and how you define your identity and then establish that and keep investing and growing it um and and just falling in love with that process um and knowing that the outcome this sort of becomes a result of that somewhere down the road. You don't know exactly when because there's other factors that play into that. But if you if you fall in love with building an environment and building a culture and finding out how to make a, a bespoke one and that around the people that are there and the challenges that you're surrounded by, then uh, then that becomes the, the foundation for performing a high performance, whatever that is. Yeah, it's an interesting way that you put it, like how all the different departments for the whole club, uh, players, obviously high performance stuff, but like you said, also you know, membership, sales, everyone should be have that mindset. Uh, when you're going into, yeah. like, it'd be, there's been a couple of programs where you've gone into leadership positions, like do you start to um, go through um, building those sort of conversations from day one or do you like to see how things are working and if things are working effectively in terms of outcomes, like it seems like in those departments, um, you know, they're doing things differently in a different method that you've seen before from an excellence piece but they're still getting the same result that you would expect. Um, do you sort of just trust that or is there aspects where you think, oh, we probably could tweak that to get even a better outcome? Like how do you sort of, because sometimes it is very subjective as well as in how, you know, like you said, some the expectation is to win titles where an excellence is only if they win a title where another club might be just 
making the finals. And if they can do that from where they've come from, that is excellence the, from that year, you know. So there's, I guess, it's relevant to every every club depending on where what phase they're in. Yeah, yeah, and and it is like you mentioned, uh, going to a club that's never made the finals before, then you might define excellence as making the finals for the first time. But then if you if you're at a team like the Crusaders or the Blues or the Brumbies or somewhere that make finals regularly, then you it's a different definition. But you, I know at Crusaders, excellence isn't necessarily winning titles; it's focusing on getting better every day, and then. It's a it's a byproduct of excellence, and excellence is actually the day to day, and mm-hmm. and really diving into the day to day and doing that consistently well with focus and just nailing the basics with focus without getting bored of them and and not trying to seek a magic bullet or not trying to focus too much on the outcome because that's just a byproduct of the process. So, um, but yeah, it's always a, it's an interesting question because if if somebody's not called the high performance department, does that mean that they're low performance <laughs> so everybody should be aiming for whatever that looks like in their area because it all interrelates so um and as i've moved sort of less um so the leadership position uh allows you to be a little bit less of the hands-on because you can you can help support others and you become you know if you're a head of performance you become your head of strength and conditioning's assistant in terms of the detail of the strength and conditioning program and so they they take over that and you make sure they have the direction that they need, but also then the support and assistance that they need in driving that forward. And you keep it connected to the master plan, whatever that is, or the, the overall sort of way of operating and, and the direction of the organization or the team. Um, and then you, you interact a lot more with those other departments and start to see the, um, the links between the commercial department that they have obligations to fulfill but some of those obligations have an impact on the training plan so you've got to link in and make sure that there's understand they have an understanding of what some of those commercial obligations look like and uh and when when our, when you can do the right type of um promotional events or 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 not and it's it's an easy assumption to come into a professional environment and assume that everybody in the building are rugby people and get it uh, or uh, a sports people and kind of get it but quite often like your accountant is an accountant <laughs> they're not a they haven't they haven't come through a the, the same sort of sporting elevation as the players or the coaches kind of have so it, it's trying to connect the dots around um the other people in the organization that what uh, are they are they actually driven by coming in and trying to get better every day at what they do or do they just you know do, do you have people in the organization that just it's a job and so how you how you balance that and how do you have everybody sort of buying into wanting to have excellence within the culture and everybody feeling like they're contributing so your team wins a championship does the the person sitting behind the spreadsheet in the accounts department feel like they need to feel like they've played a part in that so there's there's so many other moving parts once i think my um progression at the crusaders over the four years was probably 80% hands-on and 20% organisational joining the dots and gluing together. And then that went from 80-20 to 50-50 to probably 70-30 the other way because it had really good people there across strength and conditioning and nutrition and sports science and other support staff that I could, as I said, help to give direction but then help give support. Um, and they would deliver in their area, which allowed me to have conversations with 
coaches and with other management and further up the chain or across in other departments and just pulling all those moving parts together. Uh, the bigger the organisation is, the more moving parts there are and they all interrelate. So so that's probably uh, one of the largest uh, differences is how do you how do you connect everybody on that that same journey and that same path and they all feel like they are a part of the bigger picture and not just you know not just the team that's operating as a part of that bigger picture of excellence and culture and environment and performance um, but the whole organization feels like they're on that journey and they all have their own part to play and they have some ownership of that and they feel like they are connected to it and moving over to the sort of communication side like effective communication um obviously in, from staff members to, to players, but also things like meetings and how involved the players are and, and trying to get them, give them autonomy. Um, like what's a good way to sort of get a read on is our communication effective in terms of, is it a duration thing? Uh, and, you know, how, how long should a meeting go for? Um, and as well as you know, what, what are the athletes retaining uh, in terms of, you know, are they able to actually apply that to the training session or to the game? Yeah, so what's your sort of stance on effective communication from that side of things? Yeah, I think it's one thing that you definitely see um, when you're in a professional environment. If you've got, you know, five coaches and a, a number of different performance staff and medical and everybody wants to do a great job. Um, so if everybody wants to do 10 things really well and pass on 10 really good pieces of information, that very quickly becomes like 500 different pieces of information for the players to to process and try to dial in on. So a lot of it is how you can uh, get really good alignment um, so that you can give it, like there's something for performance, something organisational, and you get one message that covers the four and they don't have to get four different messages that are kind of the same thing and identifying where those double-ups are and just trying to be really efficient and clear and concise and, and keep it at the critical few. Um, and then just checking our own enthusiasm sometimes. So we might want to add five different messages around things that we feel are really important, but if we're throwing that on top of 12 different new line-out calls and, uh, and a whole lot of change in the playing group and there's a lot of processing of information going on, then we're just adding clutter, which slows down processing speed and slows down performance. And so we're we're there to help facilitate an increase in performance, um, but our best intentions can sometimes get in the way and, and then we can, you can get a short-term decrease in performance because we've over-cluttered with too much information or we've over-complicated something. Um, or we've, you, know, you can sometimes lean towards just wanting to show that you, you know that this is, this is really good to do and you're just trying to give some information with good intentions, but um, you are really just trying to justify a role or trying to do a good job because you're there to do something so you feel like you need to be active so you add something and you end up just adding and stacking things so it's trying to keep keep that in check um, and some of that just comes from having good alignment so if you can have alignment of messaging you can keep it efficient and find those double ups so the more conversations we can have in between departments so we get good clear aligned messaging that that ticks the key boxes and focuses on the critical few uh, and then just picking your times and kind of having a stepping back and having an understanding of the big picture and and what's important right now and like I've got a really good message and it's it's quite pertinent but is it really critical right now or am I just going to be making extra noise 
um, within within the day, within the program, within the meeting, within the structure. And um, it's hard to find the right meeting length or the right style of communication because within a room in a squad of 45, you've got people that deliver information in different ways and people that absorb information in different ways. And so one way is not going to hit the mark for everybody and trying to find ways to do that across multiple sort of ways of learning or ways of communicating but also uh, building connection being a key foundation there too so getting to understand people the people that you're working with whether it's coaches whether it's players how do they like information how invested are they in information do they like a lot of detail do they just like to know what it's going to feel like to do something properly like how do they actually receive info and what's a real driver for them learning because we're not teaching if somebody hasn't learned something we're just talking yeah 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 it's a nice way to wrap it up uh, and i guess leadership like where does um how important is leadership do you think in, in not only establishing uh, an excellent environment high performance environment but uh maintaining the standards uh crucial and it just such different types of leadership i think too um not just having uh, a view that maybe your most experienced staff members or your most experienced players in your team are the leaders like you could have some very very experienced players who aren't necessarily leaders within the group uh, but they're just they've got good experience to pass on but they lead in different ways so sometimes leaders are great by leading by example some guys are really good with with a narrative and with words and, and creating a clear picture in people's minds uh, some very some young and new players are leaders with their enthusiasm and their energy so um, the leadership that comes from a player in their first season with a team they remind the old dogs that it's actually exciting to be there if, if the old mate's turning up for his 12th season and, and it's all getting a little bit uh, Groundhog Day, the young guy leads him by showing that it's actually quite good to be there. And hey, remember this is actually better than a real job, mate. So remember to enjoy it. Um, and so there's there's a lot of different types of 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 what you are leading and and what that leadership looks like. Um, but then again, the in an actual what you would term a, a leadership role, like I I personally see that as. Um, you become everybody's assistant. When you, when you become a leader, you become everybody's assistant. And so you've got to be, you sort of lead by, I'd call it leading by compass. So uh, you, you point point the direction and kind of show the, the direction that we're heading so that you don't just throw someone out in a boat without paddles and, and no destination, but, um, but they can Google map their own way there and you can just help keep things on course and lead by compass and direction and then make sure what do they need to actually be great, whether it's a player, whether it's a S&C coach, um, a dietitian, or wh whoever it might be, mental skills coach. A, do they have the direction? Do we know where we're heading? And then B, do they have what they need to deliver and they actually have the boat? Do they have the paddles? Do they have the, the time? Um, how do we then facilitate that? And then what do they need from us as a leader um, to execute in their role? Because that's what we've, that's what we've put them there for. And that's what we're trusting them to do. And so if we just micromanage and do it all ourselves, then we might as well not have them. So if mm. you put somebody uh, into a role and, and then leadership is about showing belief in them that they're there for a reason and they know what they're doing. Um, and then, as, as I said, some, some people will lead by just action and example if we go back to creating 
excellence within a culture and environment and if that is actions on a daily basis actions and behaviors that align with your values and your direction and, and your culture and uh, and the way that you operate then somebody living those values and living those behaviors they may not speak um but they are leading by action and i know there's uh, i'm not sure who who sort of mentioned it to me but there's sort of two forms of induction when you when you come into an organization and there's the there's the formal induction which is you know the name of the organization and here's the here's the the roles and this is what people's jobs are and this is how we operate here and this is the fire exit but here here are our values they're up on the wall one two three four five here's what those things are and then your your informal induction is what you actually see happening in front of you uh, and so you've got um integrity written on the wall but if you don't see that happening then it's just words on a wall and uh, somebody presenting at a conference once said, you know, good teams and shit teams have the same things on the wall. Uh, but mm. some teams actually live those things and they know what that looks like in action um, and they keep investing into it uh, and and others don't. Others try to either mimic or replicate or they, they define the words and they kind of know what they're looking for, but they don't really define the actions of what those things are and then do they actually live them on a daily basis and do you walk in and have an environment that gives you a feel for um you know respect your environment is on the wall but there's rubbish all over the floor so there's sort of the informal induction and the, the informal induction of what actually is the environment what are the what are the people doing on a daily basis which is culture and I guess going back to Chris Taylor's experience when they had that seven-year drought of not winning a championship and then won four in a row, or now it's been seven, but what was some significant, uh, I guess, some, if you could share some things that you noticed that really shifted in that space where, um, where the environment changed and then the performances started to come? Yeah, well, it definitely wasn't a miracle out of nowhere um, because there was, you know, you could, you could see signs and it was building. And, I mean, even in those years that, uh, the Crusaders weren't winning titles. Like they still made finals, but lost finals. You still had Carters and McCaws, and you still had some of the best players in the world, and very, very strong teams on paper and good coaches. But uh, other teams were doing some things better. Like when the Hurricanes and Highlanders and Chiefs were winning, like they were doing, and you know they were building culture. And so we we looked back at sort of what made the Crusaders the Crusaders in the first place, and uh, and it was. It was a really good reminder to always go back and start at the beginning, like go back and start at the bottom and don't assume that if something is successful that it will continue to be so and don't assume that, you know, the, the current way of, the current way that is getting success isn't necessarily a model for success. It's just the way that works for that current group in that current context. And so we, we went back to looking at the, the, the way that the Highlanders had built their 1-39 to Brotherhood, they called it, the way the Chiefs had built Chiefs Mana, um, the way that these organisations had started at the beginning and built a culture and built an environment and, and around the people who were there and the context and the situation that they were in. And that's what those early Crusader teams did. They built it around the personalities who were there. Uh, and then that, I think that sort of almost became a model and it became a way of doing and then the, peop the people changed and the demographic of the team changed. So that way didn't necessarily fit. It was still still a good way of doing things, but it wasn't the perfect fit for that group. And so we, 
really focused on allowing individual personalities within the group to emerge so you didn't have to fit what had become a bit of a this is what it is to be a crusader and this is what it looks like um you could bring your own way and you you add to the environment by bringing individuality you don't take away from it by being uh by being yourself um there's a difference between being an individual and being yourself and so we, we wanted to make it um really celebrated to be yourself and to add to growing to growing something new and and starting out with the foundations of the ways that had sort of come before so um as i said it was like it was it was always kind of there and it was building and it was it was almost but didn't quite get across the line and and so we really embraced that with with narrative and brought in theming and brought in belief um which uh, we'd had some good success with implementing within the, the years with canterbury um and brought that sort of back into the crusader environment again um and to me we had a young group that year but we also had like to win finals the best thing you can have is players in your team that have won finals <laughs> it's just the reality so you because no matter what the situation is they know that they like they know they can win a final and like everybody wants to win a competition um so some people sort of will hope to win and others know that they can win so it's uh it's it's building that belief and we just we had a group that had enjoyed success together a young group that enjoyed success with canterbury some guys that had been a part of previous success with with that team and so it was finding the going back to the start as i mentioned and finding what is the way that fits for this group to kind of write their own write their own piece of history um instead of trying to do what others have done in the past to be successful so that was probably the 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 focus and we, we there was some there was some technical stuff we sort of shifted the way that we wanted to play on from an attack um an attack perspective because teams were defending differently and so there was a lot of innovation from from coaches there was a lot of really good buy-in uh, from players but the theming and the narrative was sort of the piece that helps get everybody on the same page and believing in a story and when you know your identity you can connect that identity to a story and then you believe in that story um and that's the the difference of hoping to win and believing that you will win or can win if you play well you will win versus if you play well and they don't play so well then you might win um so it's just reinstilling that belief um through through narrative and through through, through theming and storytelling which is very powerful and you mentioned earlier like leadership is assisting those um in, in your team to sort of drive their own role and, and really empower them what are some sort of practical tips for leaders listening in to yeah, empower uh, either their staff or their team members to um, you know be the best they can be i think i think personally one th- thing I've, I've found and, and worked on getting the balance right is is giving giving ownership and giving autonomy in, a, in an area and then being a support network and, and assisting but not stepping too far away that you make them feel like they're doing your job for you and you've just buggered off somewhere to not work um, or to not be involved or that they don't feel that you sometimes you want to give somebody more ownership in driving their area um, but you step back so far that they feel like you're not interested in in the area. So trying to trying to get that balance right between how much uh, somebody really needs 
you connected to what they're doing as a, as a support and what they actually need from you. Um, and then still being able to challenge. So yes, you've given people ownership of, of an area, uh, but still being able to challenge their ideas and, you know, are they trying to do too many things at once and achieve too many goals at once? And how do you, how can you, you challenge those thoughts or um, you can still pass on experience and you can still challenge and, and guide and, and be really constructive um, with the way that you do it. But that, that's, I think, a lesson um, that, that I've sort of learnt going through that process of trying to, trying to step back and let go of some stuff, but not letting go so much that they feel like you're never there and you're, and you're, and you're not helping. Um, but then when you do step in and help, how do they, how do they need you to help? So you don't then just go and help in your own way and they feel like you've given them something and then just taking it back. Um, mm. And giving really clear, really clear expectations. So there's good role clarity in, in certain areas and who's who's responsible or accountable um, for certain areas um, so that yeah, otherwise things don't get, get, get done. They slip through the cracks and you think you've handed it to somebody and they think that you're doing it and it doesn't get done or, um, or you both end up doing the same thing. Um, and then it becomes inefficient as well. So uh, I think it's just keeping checks and balances on those sort of things when you're, you're transitioning from being hands-on and doing it all yourself. And that was a good lesson in Austin. First year in Austin was one-man band, do everything. And then second year got to assemble strength and conditioning coach, dietitian, mental skills, a, a wider-ranging medical team. So actually able to have a team around you um, and I, I always use the language, the people that we have around me, not under. That's a that's just the way your organisational structure will work. As we, it's as a as a team, it roles within that structure. Um, but having it, having that really really clear. And some people might operate differently, and other people might need a need a different style of leadership. My my way of operating might not be a fit for some people because they might find me. A, a bit too ambiguous and not giving them clear enough direction because I like to give them ownership and, and have them sort of present back to me on how they want to run things and, and what support they want from me. But somebody might find that quite difficult because then they don't know what I want from them. So it's, know, it's, it's knowing knowing your people and knowing um, to get the fit right. Uh, you get the expertise right, but then you just get the interpersonal fit. And again, it comes back to communication and building relationships and building trust and showing trust and um, it's a leading by direction, but also assistance. Yep. And uh, of course, in, in, in elite sport, there's, there's going to be pressure, there's going to be setbacks, whether it be a reoccurrence of an injury or, or, or a loss in, in a final. Um, I guess what strategies or techniques do you have for, for managers to help the whole department sort of get over uh, challenges and setbacks? Yeah, it's it's something we've sort of looked into where uh, from a resilience and, and, and dealing with, with pressure or with setbacks and how you see and, and perceive those because we like we know that there's um, adversity is going to lead to growth if you approach it in the right way and, and, and you learn valuable lessons from adversity and you know it can lead to lead to success and excellence down the road if you if you learn a valuable lesson um, and and setbacks will come um, and things won't always go to plan and so but being able to cope with that is uh, it's an interesting one because we might put a lot of support structures and make sure we have uh, mindset coaches or mental skills coaches or 
whatever you want to term them within your organisation. A lot of the support structures like that around the players, um, but we probably don't put enough support structures like that around staff and and putting work into coaches and work into support staff around how do we how do we cope with uh, cope with adversity and when things things don't go right things don't go well things don't go to plan and and um, and being able to take a to learn to take a step back and keep the main thing the main thing and figure out we might still be heading in the same direction but is it just a did we just change tack how you approach approach those setbacks when things don't go well uh, i know um you know some some people turn it like you know to go to heaven you've got to go through hell along the way and so it's trying to find a trying to find what that what that path looks like and take a step back go up a level of perspective if you need to from down in the microscope looking at all the detail to getting up into into the helicopter or the satellite and have a look at the um well, what's a, a lesson there's a story i've read a number of times about you get you know you get you get stuck in traffic and it's easy to be really frustrated looking at the clock and you're sort of stuck in traffic but if you go up the level of a couple of levels of perspective and take a look at the big picture and you know who knows if if the traffic was flowing better well that truck might have might have cut you off and hit you so you you're trying to find ways to, to solve the, the frustration of what's right in front of you at the time. Get back to the big picture. Look at where are we heading? Did we really deviate off course? Is it as bad as it feels right now? Or is that just a, that's just an emotion that we're feeling in the moment? And then again, where's that emotion coming from? So we are a, we're a support staff. And so we generally uh, have come into these sort of roles because we, you know, we like to support others and we don't like to let others down and sometimes you can get uh, emotional and, and get agitated if you feel like you've let someone down and you perceive that that's the feedback that you're getting um i remember uh, uh, there was one time where i think we'd had a, a day at, with uh, was it with canterbury of crusaders where a couple of things just hadn't hadn't gone hadn't gone right uh, and and we were out at training and i think the razor just sort of mentioned um, he's like oh where are the where are the where are the bibs and i went straight into like you didn't tell me you needed bibs like if you need bibs like put them on the plan now like it throws you into that fluster where you 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 receive that as you're not doing your job mate when that's not actually the the message that you're getting it's just like oh i just i just we, we need bibs so i was asking where they work and we go get them there's no rush but you absorb yeah. it in yeah. a different you can absorb that in a different way and so so learning to again learning to take a step back and take a breath and look at the big picture and understand the perspective and then you know if we're getting frustrated what are we actually getting frustrated by and where is it coming from and is it really that important um and are we just are we just losing time uh and not being solution focused because you know we covid covid taught everybody to be really adaptable and to you know you make a plan and then you had to screw it up and throw it out and make another plan and then you screwed it up and had to make another plan because the goalposts kept moving and so you learned to just like almost have a bit of a, an idea of where you wanted to go but then you wait till something's confirmed in place and then you put that into place and you you know you might measure four times and cut once instead of mismeasuring and then cutting and then mismeasuring and cutting and throwing it away and starting again and you become really inefficient you go into the spiral of of uh of frustration with things not working out um because you want the perfect plan but the perfect plan very often doesn't exist so 
but it's been interesting sort of post COVID there are a lot of things that we really appreciated coming out of COVID even just being able to turn up to work again um, and okay it's a bit it's a bit annoying that everybody has to have an individual drink bottle and they have to be labelled and but it is what it is it means we can get back to doing what we love again um, and then you know it's interesting just to see it sort of how 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 does it wear off over time and how do all these little things that we just we weren't worried about because we just wanted to get back to the big stuff start to do they start to frustrate us again um because yeah. we start to lose perspective we start to lose perspective because it's taken for granted again that we get to come to work every day so we get frustrated about some of the little stuff again so there's it's it's interesting to watch that sort of evolve sort of in our own behaviors if we reflect and also just seeing it across groups sort of the yeah the, the balance shift between um gratitude of and frustration or gratitude and entitlement even so where's all that free stuff sort of emerges again rather than just like oh, don't worry about the free stuff can we just get in with our mates and start training again so it's a really it's been an interesting sort of a journey in and, in and out of covid just to see again how we can take a step back and look at the big picture and take a breath and you know, are we really, is it really a setback, you know, or is it just a, a slight change of direction towards the same destination? Google Maps yeah, is always yeah, yeah. going to reroute you. So you make, a, you, you make a wrong turn and you might add a couple of minutes, but um, it's very easy to get so annoyed at that that you make another wrong turn versus just finding the, the solution and, and staying the course. And things open up. Yeah, it's a great. That's a great insight. Um, I guess for is there areas that uh, professional development or courses or, or books that you'd advise to build that self awareness um, when when the, you know because it's easier said than done to have that satellite view when you're sort of uh, in those high pressure moments and there is frustration uh, and I guess it, there's an element of it can have a bit of a ripple effect on the whole department where it you know, without even realizing it, it's actually just maybe one of the players that's sort of fed that on to you or, or a staff member and, and so forth, but to be able to reset and actually look at it like, well, this is an area that we can learn and actually get better and perceive it that way opposed to, um, yeah, like you said, getting emotional and, and reacting. Yeah, I think really early days with Canterbury, we did a, a good course. It was, it was like an optimism-focused course um that because it's sort of as, as a default um as high performers or just as people and humans really like we default to negative um you know you you you're very slow to reward yourself for the one thing that you do well but you're very quick to punish yourself for the 10 things that you feel like you didn't do very well and and that's what we focus on you know if you give somebody you give somebody a a, a balanced amount of feedback um the thing they're going to hold on to is going to be the thing that you that they perceive you've said they didn't do well or need to get better at because we're especially in an environment we're taught to constantly seek improvement so um we are very slow to reflect on the things that we do well and uh, and really appreciate the things that we do well because we almost take that for granted because it's our job to do things well right so <laughs> why just celebrate just doing your job you're supposed to do things well so yeah pat yourself on the back but what about these things you need to do better is quite often how we'll we'll sort of review ourselves so that and I, I can't remember a lot of the detail out of the course or who ran it but i just remember the general just of it and having an optimistic view and and using so not 
false language, but positive and affirmative language around around communication and with, with some self talk. But again, just being able to to take a step back and and as I mentioned, look at the big picture and find find a silver lining um, and be able to see uh, to see adversity as something that is going to create resilience, that is going to lead to success and growth. Um, or growth, which becomes success, depending on how you measure your success. So uh, it's probably a matter of finding, I think, what fits for you, because we all have slightly different trim of um, of what you know what frustrates us and and what we get down on ourselves about that we maybe don't do so well, and how we receive how we receive feedback, and how we how do we focus on the negatives, and how do we kind of break that cycle and take lessons and build resilience and focus. So. So there's probably any number of, of different books and courses, but uh, you also can't substitute just go, having to go through it, um, having to go through it, and yeah. don't don't shy away from uh, from making mistakes or, you know, don't be so so risk averse that you never you never learn anything because you you don't get out of your comfort zone and into a growth zone, and, and I think just trying to find ways to really grow that and have a look at having a a growth mindset and, and trying to find challenges and see them as a real positive and and not being afraid of of failing failing and learning um or even just the definition that we attach to the word failing um which mm. is always an interesting one in, in snc even when we go to fitness test we're, we're working with players and athletes that have we call it a test and they've been tested all the way through school and testing is pass fail and if you fail you get punished and so they've just got such a negative view that's ingrained over years of childhood and growing up to to being tested when actually if you've put the work in what we think why would you not want to measure yourself and see how far you've come and be really proud of that effort um and that's where you should see a, an, an assessment or a measure but um you know, the the negative connotations that's attached to language based on the way that we've sort of progressed and come through life and where and how we've learnt um they're very they're things that take time to unwind um and to re and to reframe and sometimes you just have to change the word that you associate with something to get rid of the initial negative reaction to it and then reframe it with education around the why and then give some ownership and and kind of know well, you're doing this as much as some some players will take it on board others will never take it on board but you're doing this for you you're not doing it for me I'm, I'm not testing you so that i can show numbers and keep myself in a job we're just here as a tool for you to progress your career so we want to help you get better and for you to be able to measure that and see the progress of the hard work that you're doing um but that'll for some that'll fall on deaf ears because you're just the person that's paid to tell them to do stuff and that's just how some see it and breaking down those walls can take time if uh if somebody's come dictatorial or if they if they, they use a lot of negative reinforcement rather than rewarding uh, and rewarding the positives and so long long-winded sort of winding answer but yeah i think you so say you, you can't uh, you can't substitute just having to go through those things and then being able to reflect and I think it's just whatever course or whatever book or podcast or however it is that connects for an individual to learn this is the way that feels like it fits for me to be able to reflect and learn from adversity and not not avoid it um, because you miss out on learning and you miss out on growth oh, well said that's um we'll, we'll start to uh, wrap it up I guess the 
is there anything that we haven't discussed, Simon, on this topic in terms of culture and excellence? There's something that springs to mind that you mentioned earlier in terms of, um, I think it was a quote uh, from something that you saw at a conference. Um, you know, good and bad teams are running the same thing on the wall, but the difference is sort of your actions. Uh, how do you feel about having objective markers with those values as a performance department? Is that something that you think is helpful to see how you're tracking as a performance department and I guess having goals and things that you can sort of count the department to? Or do you feel like those objectives just end up becoming targets and can sort of blur the vision on, like you said before, that the doing the fitness test is for the athlete to be prescriptive in the conditioning rather than for the performance team to sort of say, oh, yeah, we've got 27 PBs, we're, you know, we're, we're killing it. Yeah, it's a, yeah, it's it's always a, a mix of the two, and sometimes it's it, it depends on the environment. So if you have an environment that um, that hasn't had established standards and just doesn't know what it looks like, then sometimes being able to attach measurable things to that to so that, that allows you to celebrate and kind of reinforce it. So whatever the the, the metric or whatever the the measured behaviour or standard is. Once you start achieving that, you can then celebrate the fact that you're achieving that and it creates those milestones and people start to see and feel progression. Uh, but again, it's, then it's easy to go too far down that road and then the chasing the number becomes the the focus instead of the thing that you're trying to influence with the number as a way of influencing that. So, um, yeah. so, so speaking from experience as well, is there environments where you've sort of, been involved with that have gone one way or the other and and it's become too number for the thing it's been a bit too ambiguous and, and it's hard to sort of pin down mm. yeah yeah 100 percent. yeah i think that's uh yeah it's a fine line probably like a lot of the things that we've talked about they could go either way and and i guess having an understanding of what's best for the environment you're in the context is is key is sort of a yeah. big takeaway yeah, and it's it's a hard one because it's something that um, we sort of often say, and it's another another quote. And I, said, and I, I never remember. I can never give credit because I never remember where I picked the quotes up from. But it's around that um, was it every uh, everything that uh, we can measure doesn't necessarily count. So everything that everything that counts can't be measured, but everything that can be measured doesn't necessarily count as the same as yeah, yeah. Uh, when we talk about you know they don't know they don't care how much you know unless they know how much you care so we can we can put all the all the targets and all the measurements in place but again if it's if it's just a playing group that see a staff member trying to achieve like, are they their targets or are they our targets and mm. do they actually understand why and do they have ownership and is it for them or is it for us so have we made targets to show that our stuff's working um, or are they perceiving that we've just made targets to show that our stuff's working uh, and so and some some of the things are just for want of a better word immeasurable like I know there's a you can you can sort of measure um, through teamwork index like a level of cohesion but how that organism actually runs is really hard to pin down into into numbers or, or metrics or uh, you know the things that we talk about the culture and the environment and the behaviors aren't always measurable by numbers they're sort of measurable by actions and sometimes it's just seeing and feeling and absorbing what's around you and it's hard to to put targets onto those things and to put numbers onto those things um yeah, which is, is it, it's environment and culture 
yeah yeah and, and it comes from people and it's what it's what people do in that environment within that context and some of it can be measured and some of it can't but we can try or we can just celebrate when we define an example of what it looks like and then promote that when we see it mm -hmm. and i guess on that one um just a good way to wrap it up would be in terms of the feel of the group um for a high performing group uh do you feel it typically needs to sort of sway towards an intensity and an element of uh where people are out of their comfort zone they're pulling they're challenging each other or is that there's the other end where it's feeling good there's lots of banter there's laughter um yeah what, what's your sort of feel in that you know where can maybe complacency can creep in um, because everyone's mates like where, where do you sort of want the performance environment to feel on i guess main training days and game days and that sort of thing yeah again it's a really interesting balance that depends on your, your group and your environment and your context but but having a balance of both because it can become very um focused and intense and sterile and robotic without any fun and enjoyment um and but and enjoyment and joy is the antidote to anxiety and the the stress that you feel when you're under pressure to perform as well so it's it's having the right dose at the right time uh and being able to switch on and switch off at the right time uh and even knowing mm -hmm. that different people might need to express one or the other at different times so on game day some guys perform better off the back of being serious and focused and others perform better off the back of being relaxed so it's not a not a matter of saying well we'll have fun at the front of the week and we'll gradually get more serious as the week goes on because other guys might go the other way because the game brings yep. its own stress and the front of the week is so far from the game that they're at risk of getting complacent and pissing around too much and leaving it too late so they actually need to start more intense and then gradually loosen up through the week and it it's just being really clear on um again you you're getting to know your people and understanding your people and what they need at different times but them also understanding the impact of the way that they do things on others so the laughing joking around guy not throwing off the intense guy's focus at the wrong time the intense guy not barking at the guy who's just trying to enjoy himself and relax and perform and sort of you you respect other people's process and space but also taking time to figure out what your process is uh in some young players um they can't just copy what an older player does because that older player's got experience that might allow them to switch from focused to laughter back to focused and on the toss of a coin and some of the young mm. guys don't have that ability and they once they're off they're off for a while and they take a while to get back on and focused again so yeah again it's sort of answering the question without answering the question but having that understanding that there is a right balance uh somewhere and you said as a they're not polar opposites it's sort of a, a spectrum and people slide at different sort of points of that spectrum at different parts of the week and just finding what the recipe is for the current group within its within its context and uh and each individual at certain times and there's some where you just you just know no matter what your individual process is this meeting is a focus this is a serious one this is an intense meeting or this one's actually a bit more fun and it's music and mini teams and games and the, the serious guys have to drag themselves through the fun stuff to get to the serious stuff that they connect with but the guys that like the fun have to drag themselves through the serious stuff to get to the fun stuff so 
uh, if you're feeling uncomfortable within the current context, someone's probably comfortable within it. Uh, and then when it comes to your stuff, then that person is probably not comfortable where you are. And it's just being able to understand that um, and know that there is a right balance, but it might not be the same for everybody at the same time, unless it's there's some key points where it's really clear that it just needs to be one or the other so that everyone's on the same page. And you've talked about mental skills throughout. Is that something you've seen a mental skills coach workshop with athletes to build that awareness on this guy? You know, or, or even the athletes talking to themselves, I actually really like to be relaxed on game day, you know, um, and then others, you know, uh, on the other end of the spectrum where they like to be really focused and, um, and and being able to help each other out as teammates. Or do you feel like elite athletes sort of that have played together for long enough just work through that intuitively and understand their, their peers naturally, I guess? Yeah, yeah. It's a, again, it's a very, very good, good answer to your own question. Um, it's a good process. I think it, it is that it, it's a you can have an experienced, cohesive team that have spent time together and know each other well enough that there's a there's sort of an understanding there, um, which uh, then you go to a team where there are a lot of new faces and people don't know each other or they're new to the environment. And everyone's trying to figure out how does this place work and how do those people work, and that's a lot to figure out all at once. And so sometimes then just adding some structure so that everybody's get can get their bearings and then over time you figure each other out you figure out what works for this group work for this group and um and and finding a way um but again the i think the less time a group has spent together then the more value you'd actually get understanding each other's communication styles or um or how we learn or how we give and receive information or knowing what each other's processes or when you are frustrated and you are out of the moment in the game what brings you back into the moment how can how can your teammates recognize understand cue and help you in your way to get you back to where you need to be um and you know some just like to be left alone some like to be pulled back to task you know some like very clear direct information some just like a, a pat on the back and to know that you've got their back um so it's it's understanding that grows over time. But again, as I sort of mentioned before, you can't then assume that if a group's been together for three or four years that they all understand each other perfectly and there's no point investing time into that anymore. Um, even if you've won three in a row, you're not going for your fourth, you're going for your first as a group because there's probably going to be some change. Um, and you, you go back to the start again rather than so the big risk once you start to get success is trying to continue the success and and continue that way like you go back you keep going back and reinvesting and rechecking and, and not taking for granted you carry the belief and you carry the mo the momentum because you know the group's been successful so you know if you nail it it will work but um you can't forget to go back to the start again and go back to the foundations and just make sure that you are reinvesting from the beginning yeah love that that is uh, that's where it becomes starts to become complacency and comfortable at being because you become comfortable and then become complacent and, and then you start assuming and then uh you might be succeeding in terms of wins but you might not be a high performing team because other things are falling away and and you don't really yeah, realize right. that until further downstream when the wheels fall off yeah, it's too late.
Yeah, that's fantastic, mate. Well, I've, I've got a full page of notes and no doubt the listeners do too. And I know it's mindful of the time. Uh, for those that aren't aware, it's over probably two, nearly 2.30 a.m. Uh, for where Simon is. So he's uh, done incredibly well to, to hold this <laughs> level of uh, attention with us and, and engagement. I really appreciate it, mate. Um, last three questions in your work life. Do you have pet peeves? Anything that sort of fires you up about the industry or anything that athletes do can do? <laughs> Uh, oh, I can cover that with a general answer. Like when when there's something that frees up your ability to to find a solution when things go wrong. So as an example, like if you don't, you go right back to basics. If you don't have a well organised set of equipment and you know where things are and when you need them, you spend your time looking for it and then you might miss. Where are the balls? You get out to training and the balls aren't pumped up and you're under the pump versus I know exactly where the balls are kept within this shelf, within this room. And so that gives me time to go in and actually check the pressure, for example, is a, is a really simple way of looking at it. So I've, I've gone into, come from an organisation where a lot of that stuff's taken for granted uh, and gone into organisations where there just aren't basic organisational systems and processes for things that allow efficiency and consistency and then things just slip through the cracks or you're constantly scrambling and, and fighting fires and so you don't you run out of the ability to be resilient when something goes wrong because you've wasted all that energy just trying to get the basics in place when it should be made more efficient so that, that's probably something i've really learned i learned going over to austin and, and then coming into the forces looking for like what are the day-to-day -day things that just need to have a really good system and structure and process whether it's storage or communication um that frees up time for us to be adaptable um you can name you can name plenty about um yeah you can name plenty with players and gps bib systems and things that no matter how many things you try the system never works and people always end up end up without them for different reasons there's always little things that you know along the way that can be little frustrations but they're um that's just part of working with people and trying to fit lots of different personalities into one organizational system um i think from the for the industry it's just also uh something i've always wanted to try to progress and i put a lot of time into is is being really clear on how we reward people and and not um not pushing too far with with in, internships and volunteering and actually making sure that that people are uh, remunerated for their work and you know if somebody has a somebody's earned a specific value if we can't afford that value then do we just uh take less of their time and as much of their time that we can afford and then gradually try to increase that time because uh, a lot of organizations will still tend to try to take too much for a minimal budget and then that just becomes the budget for that role and uh, if we actually have it placed a certain value on something then how do we shape our organ afford this much well, we can get a really good person we just can't get as much of their time so let's not devalue their time let's just take less of it and then present how we can increase our budget to get more of their time um, because otherwise it's a very hard thing to increase otherwise we're just setting new standard that can get lower and lower and, and harder and harder or uh, we just get told to go out and get some more of those volunteers that do it all for free and and that, that it's it's great to, to be able to provide um opportunities but there's a there's a point where people are, are giving more than they're getting uh and they've they've gained really valuable experience and now they have value and so we can't 
we can't overlook that and then just take their value without giving something in return if, if they're not getting value out of it anymore. 100%. Yeah, well said. I uh, love that. That might be at the top of the uh, best answers for that question, which I've asked uh, every guest at the end. Uh, that was, yeah, fantastic, mate. Normally a pretty quick one, but what about the next one? What's your favourite way to spend your day off? This will probably be my only fast answer. Um, still figuring that one out. I think, um, so, yeah, especially, I guess, the last couple of seasons, I've gone into a new environment. And so, like, days off have become catch-up time. And I just know, right, year one, I'll just get things in place so that year two, three, four, we can be more efficient. So uh, it's been more head down, bum up, um, and just getting ahead on things. Uh, but one thing I, I really learned with the teams that I was touring with internationally is just understanding what um, what charges and what flattens your, your battery, your social battery or whatever you might want to call it. So, you know, if we were if we were touring South Africa and you, you know, you're working pretty busy days on tour uh, and you get through Monday, you get through Tuesday, Wednesday's the day off, it's very easy to overfill that time and go out with a group to safari or go to a mall or go and do some sort of activity that has you around the group again and for some people that's really recharging and I just recognize that for me uh, that would run me flat and so a day off on tour I just disappear from the group and, and try not to interact with others around the group and just recharge a battery so I can hit Thursday running um, and it's a bit more about if I go and explore I might do it on my own or just tuck away and catch up on sleep or go and find a, a food place somewhere that's not the hotel and it's just finding the best way that sort of charges you when you're in a, a captured environment and you're, you're going flat out and you're surrounded by the same people for weeks at a time. Yeah, yeah. And what about where it's sort of midway through the year of 2023 with this recording? Um, so what are you sort of most excited about, I guess, what's on the horizon for the rest of the year, mate? I, th I think we've I've only been in the role since November. And so, like a lot of our staff are very similar. So we've got a really good young, uh, young staff and a lot of new staff at the force. Who have, but a lot of us started in October, November, December, or January uh, for the season that started in February. So it's really exciting. We've actually got an off season to plan together now. So we actually get to roll off our own planning. And you know, this this season we, uh, I, I think. Uh, we were able to shift some things forward really well in the background, but we were also building the plane as it was flying because we just dropped straight into the seat and it was go. And so yeah. it's exciting. We've been able to identify a lot of areas to grow um, as a group and as individuals and, and just as an environment and as a culture and as a team. Uh, and so that's really what, what's exciting. We actually get to plan for our next pre-season in a lot more detail and do it together and be a lot more cohesive as a as a staff group and as a playing group kind of heading into the next season so i think that's that's the exciting part we've identified the critical few and now we get to plan on how we'll impact the critical few um, and actually have time to do that and feel like we've got a little bit more control and, and we're not uh, we're not having to put it all into place as it's already running mm -hmm. yeah fantastic well yeah after speaking to you for the last hour and 20 you're clearly uh, the right man for the job and west force is lucky to have you as well as the, the new team 
uh, at that club. So really appreciate your, your time, mate, for, for jumping on and um, diving into a topic that we said at the start's pretty broad, but I feel like we've got in suck, suck our teeth into it, or at least you have, and really people would have a great understanding uh, of what it takes to have that, foster that high-performance environment and, and maintain excellence. For, for those that have uh, further-up questions, is there a best place to get in contact? Uh, yeah, e easy to find, simple to find on LinkedIn, um, and I always sort of log in there and get some really good sort of professional interaction and and, and chat sort of on LinkedIn. Um, got a, I don't use very much, but um, for the professional side, and that, that's always a good place to kind of reach out and, and put together a quick call or, or bounce questions or just bounce ideas or connect across different environments. Um, so that's, uh, that's, that's sort of a, a really good networking tool. It can be a really good sort of cold call marketing thing you get you get a lot of random messages trying to sell you stuff but that's people trying to do business um but yeah. it's a really good place to connect connect with other professionals and and and, and chat on there too and i'm hopefully pretty easy to, to find on there through through the link very good yeah we'll, we'll add the uh, link in the show notes and thank you for everyone that's tuned in to this live chat uh, if you missed the chat make sure to tune in on YouTube the very start and we'll post this on our podcast over the next few weeks. Uh, our next live chat is next week, the 6th of July at 9am Australian Eastern Time with Pat Basil, who's a strength coach. So I'm really looking forward to that chat. Thanks again, Simon. Really appreciate it, mate. Well, good. Appreciate your time as well and um, and looking forward to so some of the upcoming ones and I've got a bit of time to absorb and pick through some of your other conversations and previous guests as well over the next couple of weeks. So looking forward to soaking those up and um, yeah, appreciate everything that you're doing for, for us and for the industry and connecting and, and just allowing people to share information and for us all to learn. Oh, thank you. Thanks for the kind words, mate. Appreciate it. Thanks, guys. If you enjoyed this episode and want even more, our academy is for you. The Prepare Like a Pro Academy is a platform that hosts exclusive features and bonus content, such as a Q&A segment aimed at getting to know the guests on a more personal level. Here's an example with Emily Meehan, head sports dietitian from Collingwood Football Club. What are things that, that fire you up? Oh, this one is always, uh, I suppose it is... Um, It'll be topical for most people, I think, but staying in your lane. And I yep. often find that with nutrition, everyone eats, so everyone has an opinion. And I think that's what really gets me fired up um, because so many people try and provide nutrition advice based on their end of one experience when they did intermittent fasting or keto or whatever it might be. And then game changes, yeah, game changes whatever that might be. And look, it probably keeps me in a job, but that it does drive me insane because yeah. sometimes the information can be so detrimental um, and opposite to what I've been working with my athlete or athletes and, you know, and because they hear it on someone's socials or through a documentary, it unravels everything that I've been working with an athlete for. Yeah. Yeah. Another feature of our academy is the opportunity each week to join myself as co-host on the Prepare Like a Pro live chat show. Here's an example with academy member Rama Davies, the strength conditioning coach at the Box Hill Hawks. Welcome Rama to the chat. Uh, Rama has also worked at, at Box Hill, or currently he's working at Box Hill Hawks with us, awesome. so he's another Box Hill man uh, in the strength and conditioning department. So 
I'll handle it over to you, Rama, to, to ask your question, mate. Thanks for joining us. Excellent. Thanks, Jack. And yeah, thanks, um, thanks, Sam, for the chat. It was uh, I found it to be really insightful. Plenty of gems in there, um, and I enjoyed it a lot. Um, mate, my my question to you was: you spoke a, a, quite a bit about um, perspective during that chat, um, and I was wondering what are some of the things that you either know or um, do physically that um, you wish you either knew or did uh, back at the beginning of your career? Uh, what are some of those things? Mm, yeah, good question. Um, yeah, so I suppose with perspective on life, um, that sort of point, um, it, yeah, certainly, yeah, has been massive for me now and, and didn't probably have that as much um, when I was younger. Um, I suppose one thing I might mention is is gratitude. I spend a lot of my mm. time um, doing a lot of gratitude exercises, listening to podcasts, doing a, a journal every day just to, be, to say what I'm grateful for, sort of three things. And um, that's a fantastic way that I've been able to, yeah, like reset and, and just kind of gain that gratitude and perspective about, you know, that there is more to life than football or, you know, might be whatever as an SNC coach, you know, if something's you having a hard time, um, it can be massive with just, yeah, opening your eyes a little bit and losing that sort of tunnel vision or being stuck in that in that work bubble. Um, yeah. So that's that's been huge. Um, I think I wish back then when I was younger, I asked more questions and was a bit more open to different things. Mm. I think I was a bit single-minded back then and, um, you know, I thought there was one way of doing things and um, if I kind of didn't have that fear of, you know, asking a silly question or fear of judgment, it would have got me a lot further and I probably would have learned a lot quicker. Um, and, yeah. and yeah, like just, yeah, being open to sort of different things because um, you never know what you might find. It's just, yeah, there's so many people, like great people out there, knowledgeable people to learn off. And there's plenty more where that came from. If you would like to learn more, then enter patreon.com forward slash prepare like a pro or head to the link in our show notes. Thank you for listening to the Prepare Like a Pro podcast. If you like this episode, it'd be a massive help if you could like, follow, rate, give a review, or even share with your mates. The show is recorded in Melbourne, Australia. Be sure to follow our Instagram page for all updates on our latest and greatest. If you would like to get in touch to suggest a guest or advertise with the Prepare Like a Pro podcast, please email me at jack at preparelikeapro.com. Thanks so much for tuning in.